contemplations before chanting. The Sangha is invited to come back to our breathing so that our collective energy of mindfulness will bring us together as an organism, going together as a river with no more separation. Let the whole Sangha breathe as one body, chant as one body, listen as one body, and transcend the boundaries of a delusive self, liberating from the superiority complex, the inferiority complex, and the equality complex.
morning, dear Sangha. Today is the first day of the month of August of the year 2012, and we are in the Assembly of Stars Meditation Hall of the Lower Hamlet, Plum Village. We are in the last week of the summer retreat 2012. Today we will speak English. Today we have a session of questions and answers. And those uh, who have a question are invited to come and uh, sit there. And uh, they will take turn to sit on that chair to ask the question. The practice is that um, every time before we ask a question, we hear the sound of the bell. We listen to the sound of bell and we practice uh, breathing in and out uh, deeply three times before we ask the question. And we know that a good question can profit many people. That is why we should only ask the question that is in our heart. The question that has to do with our practice, our suffering, our difficulties, our happiness. And a good question does not have to be too long. And uh, we can also write down our question on a piece of paper and ask someone to bring it to Sister Pine, sitting close to Tay. If you want to ask a question in, uh, in a language that we do not uh, understand, you have to bring your own uh, translator. Sister Pine uh, speaks uh, English, French, uh, German, Yemeni, and she speaks the language of Plum Village. Children uh, will have the chance to ask uh, a number of questions, maybe four or five questions. And then we invite uh, the teenagers to come and ask their questions. We like uh, the teenagers to ask questions. And then young adults and adults will have the chance to ask the question. So please come here. And then all the children who speak English are invited to come around Thai. On this side. Children who speak English are invited to come here on this side to support Thay. Sit beautifully. Mm. We, we shall uh, listen to the questions uh, asked in English and we will hear Thay uh, trying to answer in English. Okay. So let us uh, breathe three times with uh, the bell before we ask uh, the first question. Are you ready to breathe? Say ease.
my broer so vervelend? Why is my brother always so nasty towards me? That is a good question. <laughs> Why my brother is always nasty to me? But before asking, before answering, I would like to ask you a question. Are you nasty to your brother? Sometimes? Nay. Nay. <laughs> Are you sure? Are you sure is another question. I believe that when we are fresh, smiling, lovable, people will not be nasty to us. You agree? When we are fresh, smiling, kind, lovely, people will not be nasty to us. In any case, that is uh, what uh, usually happens. It's very difficult for someone to be nasty to us when we are so lovable and fresh and loving. And then when you are fresh, lovable, mm, you can help the guy to be less nasty. Right? You can, uh, you can help a father fellow to be less uh, nasty. That is um, something we can say. When we are fresh, when we are loving, we are pleasant, we can help uh, another person to be, not to be nasty. And then we can, uh, we can do, and we can, we can do more. Someone who is uh, nasty, is someone who is not very happy. Uh, if you are happy, you are not nasty. And we can look to see what makes that uh, person unhappy and nasty. That is meditation. Meditation is to look and ask the question, why that fellow is nasty? Why that fellow is unhappy? He asked the question, and we try to look deeply to find the answer. There must be a reason, and that is a meditation. Meditation is uh, to have the time and to look and to listen to see why a person is not happy, why a person is always nasty. When we come to Plum Village, we learn that. We learn to sit quietly and to look to see why a person is nasty, why a person is not kind, why a person is uh, unhappy. And we will find the answer. And when we, when we have found truth, we may do something, uh, say something to help him suffer less, to help her suffer less. And that person will not be nasty anymore. And this is a practice. And that's what we, we try to learn when we come to Plum Village. Come again next year and learn more about this. This is very important. 
And not only children can learn that, but adults can learn that also. Thank you for asking this very interesting question. You think that is a good answer? Are <laughs> not good enough. Second question. Listen to the bell. You think that she has a question? Bueno, mi hija quiere preguntar eh, por qué Tai cuando cantan el Avalokitesvara hace así. Le da un poco de vergüenza. She's a bit embarrassed, but what she wants to ask Tai is why when the monks and nuns chant Avalokitesvara, why Tai does this, the different finger movements to go with the chanting. Uh. The monks and the nuns um, chant Namo Valokitashvara because they want to to uh, to produce uh, to uh, to make uh, compassion to have compassion in their heart. Uh, when you chant. Uh, the name of uh, Avalokiteshvara mindfully and get in touch with the suffering inside of you, compassion is born. Love is born. And when love is born, you suffer less. And you can forgive other people, the other person. And you can help him or her suffer less. That is the purpose of chanting. And why they this, they did this uh, during the chanting? And that is a Buddhist practice in order for you to get more concentration. Concentration uh, is at the best when uh, three things come together. That is the mind, the body, and the wood. Your mind is um, focusing on the chanting. Your body uh, your, your, your word, uh, your mouth is um, chanting. So your, your mouth and your mind uh, are together. And now your body. Uh, your, your, your body uh, is calm. And this, uh, this uh, position of the hand helps you to be focused on the chanting. You don't think of anything else. We don't need to uh, to do this in order to be really concentrated, but but if you do this, it may you might be more concentrated, uh, and uh, for Thay it helps Thay to be very concentrated on the chanting. Uh, if uh, Thay do like this, this is only uh, a way in order to um, to get concentration. You may do like this also, uh, or you may do like this, and nobody can see. Uh, and then the, when, when, when Thay's hand in, in, in this position, in this position, facing in, he touches the suffering inside of him. 
And when he turned like this, he became aware of the suffering of other people around. And when he reached out like this, he's uh, touching the suffering far away in the world. Now you know everything. <laughs> Thanks to this question. <laughs> Gracias. The bell first. Good question. That is only true with monastics. Other Buddhists, they have hair. hair. <laughs> it's not because you want to shave, to save uh, shampoo. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but we, we want to remind people that we are already monks and nuns, and they should not try to make us their husband or their wife. <laughs> That's the second reason. The message is very clear, and yet there are people who still continue to <laughs> approach monks and nuns in order to possess them, to make their own property. So it's very helpful to shave your head in order to, 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 to tell people that we are already monks and nuns. We want to live the life uh, of a monk and nun, celibacy. We want to devote our time and uh, energy to the practice and service. And the third reason is that uh, the Buddha said, monks and nuns, every morning when you wake up, you should touch your, your head and you remember that you are a monk. You are a nun, and you have to practice truly as a monk or as a nun. That is a reminder. You think that's a good answer? (laughs) Thank you. What should you do if you begin to hate someone you love? What should you do if you begin to hate someone you love? What should we do when we begin to hate the person we love? We have to be practice mindfulness and to know that love is transforming itself into something else. Love is trans, uh, becoming hate. And if you practice right away, you have a chance. You know it begins only to, to become hate. So you still have a lot of time in order to stop that course of uh, transformation. And you don't want uh, your love to turn into hate. 
And there are many things you can do in order to prevent your love turning into hate. And the Buddha said, uh, you have to learn how to feed your love. Feed to give it something to eat. Because the Buddha said, nothing can survive without food. Love needs food in order to survive. And you can produce a thought that can, can feed your love, the thought of loving kindness, the thought of compassion and forgiveness. You can say something in order to feed your love, something nice that helps uh, love to, to, to get stronger. Or you can do something in order to help uh, love to grow. We do with our mind thinking, with our uh, uh, mouth speaking, and with our body doing things. And there are many things you can think, uh, you can say, and you can do that can help your love to grow. And if you don't feed your love, it will die. Certainly it will die. Love can be very beautiful in the beginning. And the lovers have to learn to feed their love. And if you know how to feed your love like that, love will never degenerate into hate. So maybe that is uh, good enough. Um, Don't allow uh, your love to degenerate into hate. And how to do that? Learn better to feed your love. And uh, you know, with a good practitioner, when you are a real good practitioner, you can even turn hate back into love. A lot of concentration, mindfulness, and insight. You can very well uh, turn hate back into love because uh, both love and hate are organic uh, things. And uh, this is possible. Even after only three, four days of practice, because uh, in the retreats we offer a little bit everywhere in the world. Many couples suffer of uh, losing love, mm, including father and son, mother and daughter, partner and partner. They could not, they, they, they cannot look at each other anymore. They cannot uh, communicate with each other anymore. It's not pleasant for them to look at each other anymore. It's not pleasant. It's not diff- pleasant. It's not possible for them to say something nice to the other person. And yet, when they come to a retreat, they practice breathing, walking to calm down the suffering. They practice looking into their own suffering and the suffering of the other person. They learn how to speak. Uh, kindly and listen deeply. And then on the fifth day, they can restore communication 
they can uh, say something nice to each other. They can listen to the other person uh, with compassion. And they transform. And they turn their hate back into love. The miracle of uh, transformation always happens in our retreats. And even if one of the two uh, is not in the retreat, because uh, after five days of practice, uh, uh, you can use your portable telephone uh, to practice uh, loving speech and deep listening uh, and, uh, and reconcile with the person at home. And uh, that miracle happens in every, happens in every retreat. Um, they, they, they remember that uh, that uh, remembers that uh, retreat in uh, Oldenburg, northern Germany. They said, ladies and gentlemen, this is uh, the fifth day of our retreat, and you have learned many things. Now you have to put them into practice in order to reconcile with the other person. If the other person is in the retreat, that's easier. Because uh, he or she has been exposed to the teaching and he has, she, they have a practice. But if the other person is not there, you can use your telephone and practice uh, compassionate listening and loving speech. You say, Father, or Mother, or Darling, I know that in the past many years, you have suffered so much. I was not able to help you to suffer less. In fact, I have made the situation more difficult for you. I have reacted in such a way that make you suffer more. I'm sorry. It's not my intention to make you suffer, darling. It's because I did not understand you. I did not see the suffering and the difficulties in you. It's not my intention to make you suffer. So I don't want to make you suffer. And I need you to help me. You should help, you should help me to understand your suffering, your difficulty, so that I will not react like the way I did in the past. Please tell me of uh, your suffering, your difficulties, Please tell me what is in your heart. I really want to know. And if you don't help me, who will help me? So please. And if you say something like that, that is called um, loving speech. And you open the heart of the other person, and he will tell you the suffering, the difficulties in his heart. And you can practice like a Bodhisattva. Listen very carefully and with all your compassion. Even when the other person says something wrong, you don't interrupt him or her. If you do, and then you turn the session of listening into a debate, it's not good. You tell yourself, I am practicing as a Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva of compassionate listening. My purpose is to listen in such a way that he can suffer less. Therefore, I will not interrupt him. 
if he says something not uh, correct, I wait until a few days later, and I will try to offer him some information that he can, so that he can correct his perception, but not now. And that is called uh, mindfulness of com- compassion. Mindfulness of compassion, breathing in and out, help you to protect yourself with compassion, so that what the other person say will not touch off irritation and anger in you. This is a wonderful mindfulness of compassion protect you and do not let the other uh, what the other person said touch off the irritation and the anger in you and you can listen half an hour one hour without irritation and that help the other person suffer less right away so that kind of uh, of, uh, of practice of listening with compassion and using loving uh, speech always can always uh, help uh, restore communication and bring reconciliation. So in that uh, retreat, um, they said that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, you have up to midnight tonight in order to do it. Use your telephone. And the next day, four German gentlemen came up to Thay and reported that with their telephone, they they had been able to reconcile with their father the night before. And one of them said, Dear Thầy, it's so wonderful. Before the retreat, I could not believe, I did not believe I could talk to my father that way. I was so angry at him. Even I, I thought that I did not want to have anything to do with my father. And yet, after five days of practice, and last night, uh, breathing in and out uh, to see the suffering in my father, I called him, and suddenly I found, found myself capable of speaking kindly to him. Daddy, I know you have suffered a lot during the past many years. And I was so stubborn, I reacted in such a way that make you suffer more, I'm sorry. He were, they were able to say things like that. And the door of the heart of his father opened. And they talked for an hour or so. And they, were, they reconciled. And he said, uh, after the retreat, I will go right back to him and visit him. And we know that there are many other others in the retreat who have done that, but they have not come up to uh, report. Thank you for asking the question. Enough questions for the children? Okay, when you hear the bell, you can stand up and salute the Sangha and go out and continue. Remember, please join us in the walking meditation. Thank you, gentlemen, young men. Have a nice time outside.
¿Es correcto mentir a una persona a la que amas si crees que la verdad le va a hacer mucho daño? ¿Es correcto decir una a una persona que amas si crees que decir la verdad le va a hacer Is it correct to tell a lie to the person you love if you believe that telling the truth could be hurtful, could hurt the person? Uh, this is uh, dangerous <laughs> because uh, one day the other person may find out the truth. That would be a catastrophe. So you have to think it over again. You have to find, find uh, skillful means in order to tell the truth. There are many ways to tell the truth. That is an art. Can the person who was kind enough to translate before come back and translate for our friend, please, or someone else? So the truth is... Um, a very, uh, very solid base for a long-lasting relationship. If you don't build your relationship on truth, sometime it will crumble. But uh, the fourth uh, mindfulness training is uh, about uh, uh, right speech and deep listening. And um, you have to find the best way in order to tell the truth so that the other person can receive easily. And sometimes the pain uh, uh, can heal, the pain can heal. But uh, do not make the other person suffer uh, uselessly. Suffering sometimes can can be uh, can be good. The goodness of suffering, but uh, we can minimize uh, the shock, minimize uh, the pain. We try to um, to convey the truth. Uh, in such a way that the other person can get it without suffering too much. Sometimes we can begin with telling uh, another story, the story of another couple, which are similar, which is similar. Uh, to help the other person to get acquainted to to the truth. It's easier to listen to the story of another person. And sometimes they teach a disciple like that. They does not teach him or her directly like that, because it may be a big shock. So they tell the story of another person and how they get out of the situation. And they allowed that story to sink into the disciple for a few weeks. 
Uh, and before they said, what do you think, my dear? Mm-hmm. Is it good that uh, the other person should hear the truth or not? And then it is the di- disciple who say yes. <laughs> and sometimes he ref- uh, that disciple reflect uh, by himself uh, and learn from from the case of the other person. Okay. Good luck. How can I be stable and live um, with a person who doesn't interest in spirituality. And I, I like very much uh, the idea that couple live uh, brahmacharya, but he he doesn't agree. How can I can please uh, give advice? So I, I want very much to uh, follow the, the Dharma practices, the mindfulness training, for example. Um, but I live with a person who's not interested in following the spiritual path. So how can I practice to remain stable uh, in that situation? Uh, when you are uh, lo- lovable, when you are fresh, <clears throat> when you are um, appreciated by the other person, you have a sense that everything you do will be appreciated by him or by her. Because when we truly love a person, we love everything about that person. That is a natural tendency. And that is why um, the spiritual can be recognized uh, in every in every uh, act of uh, daily life. You don't need to say that this is spiritual. They will turn people off. When you drink your tea, mindfully, peacefully, happily, there is mindfulness, concentration, and insight in you. Drinking tea is a very spiritual thing. It radiates peace and happiness and joy. And that is spiritual. Already. You don't need to say that, well, I want to drink my tea spiritually. You don't have to say that. <laughs> and the practice of five mindfulness standings are like that too. You don't need to say, I practice the five mindfulness standings. You just uh, live according to the five trainings. The practice without uh, a name, 
but it's a real practice. You are a Buddhist, but you don't need to tell that you are a Buddhist. And you don't want to impose on him or on her your way. If you practice well, you are happy, you are fresh. That's good enough. One day the other person may ask, Darling, how, how could you do it? In, in such a situation, I would not be able to do like you. How? And that is the time when you can share your practice formally. But be the practice first. Be the Dharma first. And that is good enough. And you draw him or her into the practice in one way or another. Remember, don't try to impose your practice on him or her. Don't practice uh, too formally. There are those who practice walking meditation in a very funny way. Uh, they want to show that they are practicing walking meditation. It looks uh, not very uh, natural at all. There are those of us who walk uh, very deeply, very happily, but uh, do not show uh, that they are, uh, they are not too serious that look too serious uh, in the practice. When you breathe in mindfully and gently, you don't, don't try to show other people that I am breathing in uh, mindfully, you know. <laughs> I'm a good practitioner. <laughs> yeah. uh, in Buddhism, uh, we have the expression practicing the non-practice. Han vo han han. Practice the non-practice. You don't need to have uh, much uh, appearance. And uh, that way you can convey the essence of the practice better. And if the other person want to be happy, want to be serene, peaceful, uh, he have a chance to learn. ¿Por qué las hermanas tienen un mayor número de votos, de preceptos, que los hermanos? Porque si es porque las hermanas, las mujeres, en esta sociedad tenemos problemas especiales, ¿no crees, Tai, que los hombres, entonces, los hermanos, necesitarían por lo menos el mismo número de preceptos especiales? Dear Thai, I don't understand why sisters need more precepts than brothers. If it is because women have special problems, don't you think that brothers would need at least the same number of specific precepts? I agree with you. 
But uh, you should know that uh, it's not the brothers who impose these precepts to the sisters. The sisters by themselves want to have more precepts. Could we have a Spanish translator for our friend, please? That is truly what uh, happened. It's not the Buddha who wants the sisters to have more precepts than the brothers. Because uh, living in a missionary uh, uh, community, uh, the sisters um, found out that they should have uh, special precepts. And that is why they have added a number of precepts. It's not, um, not, it's not true that the brothers or the Buddha impose these precepts on them. And if the sisters want to remove them, they are welcome to do, but uh, they don't want. They think that uh, they are better off with these um, uh, precepts. Thank you. A written question, please. Mr. Daniel, you like the answer? We have two written questions from friends who are asking about how to help uh, very young people to recognize the continuation with their father when they haven't had any, any personal relationship with their father. So um, one person asks, this summer in the children's program, we had boys who cannot know their father because they were born from artificial insemination. Um, how can we help them to feel the father inside of them? And another person asked in French, um, how, could, how do you explain to a pre-teenager the continuation of father to son when the, the young person has never been recognized by their father since the time they were conceived? Mm, there, are, there are people who have fathers still alive. But they cannot connect with their fathers. Uh, communication is blocked. And they don't want to be with their fathers. They are not interested in the person of their father. That is the truth in many cases. But there are those who have never seen their father, but who are capable of uh, being in communication with their fathers, thanks to the practice. Uh, they are help uh, to recognize their father in themselves. Their way of walking, their way of uh, smiling, their way of uh, acting, reacting, reflect very much uh, the way of your father. And uh, looking into yourself deeply, you can recognize your father. You have... Uh, 
retreats, retreat uh, of your father, and uh, we can we can also help a person to do that. Darling, you smile exactly like your father. The way you react is very much like uh, the way your father reacted. You can help a person like that. And uh, especially when when we uh, we talk about the positive uh, uh, characteristics uh, of the father to the young man or the young woman. If you are uh, pregnant, you are a lady pregnant for the first time. Your baby is very, is very small inside of you. You have not seen a picture of your baby. And yet you can talk to your baby with love. You already have love. You can talk to your baby. Darling, I know you are there. I'm so happy you can practice the, uh, the second mantra. <laughs> And the first mantra, Darling, I'm here for you. Darling, I know you are there and I'm very happy. Both for you and uh, the future father can talk to the embryo inside as a person. And love is very real. And talking can be very real also, full of love. So you don't need an appearance in order to talk to it. So even if we have not seen our father physically, we can talk to him. And the fact is that he is in every cell of your body. And you can smile to your father in every cell of your body and say, Daddy, I know you are there in every cell of your body, of my body. And I know that I have many things that are my up Appearance has many things that are similar to your appearance. I am your continuation. And if in the past um, um, uh, you have transmitted to me many good things, and maybe something that are not so positive, I accept everything. And with the practice of Dharma, I can, I can develop the positive uh, uh, element that you have transmitted to me, and I can transform the negative things that you have uh, trans- transmitted to me. You can talk to your father like that. Because you have had uh, a chance to encounter the Buddha Dharma, that is why you can do that develop the positive things and transform the negative things. And also, loving kindness is born from that kind of relationship, but also compassion.
compassion because uh, compassion can be born in your heart. Because uh, if your, your father does not recognize you, want to ignore you, because he has a huge block of suffering in him, the seed of love in him has not had any chance to be watered. That is why he behaved like that. If someone knows how to water that seed of love in him, that seed will have a chance to manifest. But so far, no one has helped him. So if you see like that, you are not angry at your father anymore. Then you know that there is a seat of love in your father. He might have been loving and shown your, his interest and, your, and his love to you. But he did not have that chance. He did not encounter a Dharma brother, a Dharma sister that helped him to, uh, to, to, to make that seat of love in him manifest. Everyone of us has that seat of love. But his seat of love did not have a sense, have not had a sense. So meditating like that, you accept your father and you have compassion toward him. You who have the sense to encounter the Buddha Dharma, uh, you can water, you are able to water that seed in you and you will be you will be loving. You will recognize your child. You will support your child. You will love your child. And if you succeed within yourself, you already have begun to transform your father inside of you. And having transformed father inside of you, well, you have more chance to transform the father outside of, of you because because the father outside is not all your father he's in, inside of you and you have uh, the power the capacity and the chance to transform the father within your father in you recognize you and love you and that is your practice and after having succeeded in that you don't suffer anymore, and you have more chance to help the father outside. Um, dear families, dear Thai. I want to speak on behalf of everybody here who feels the same way. Um, just want to say thank you so much for creating the kingdoms everywhere in the world for all our divine beings to come together to practice mindfulness, loving kindness together. Thank you. Um, in your Dharma sharings, you um, said about what enlightenment was and, the, and that enlightenment was free of all notions and that really resonated with me 
Um, my question is, what was the biggest notion in your life so far that you've overcome? Thank you. Um, dear Thai, our friend said that um, in Thai's Dharma talk, Thai explained that um, enlightenment is to be free of all notions. And she would like to know, what is the biggest notion that Thai has freed himself of? The biggest one is, I am. I am as a separate uh, entity. I have a self. Because the, the belief in a separate self uh, can be the roots of a lot of suffering. And that is why to meditate means to look into the nature of uh, everything and touch uh, the, the, true, the true nature, uh, the, 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 to touch the truth of uh, interbeing. You cannot be by yourself alone, you have to interbe with everything else. And uh, you have to recognize yourself, not as uh, a permanent uh, entity, always remaining the same, and going out of one body and going in another country, uh, another body. The notion of uh, transmigration, notion of reincarnation. You believe um, that uh, we are made of uh, body and soul, soul. And the body is uh, impermanent. Body can be disintegrated by the soul, remains always the same. And after the body dies, the soul survives always and go to heaven or to hell. uh, to reincarnate into another body. And that is um, the idea people have of uh, reincarnation or rebirth, which is, uh, which is not the Buddhist um, uh, understanding of uh, transmigration or rebirth or samsara. Because uh, in the Buddha's teaching, there is nothing that remains the same, always. Our uh, feelings, our mental formations, our perceptions are always changing. Every, every moment, there is nothing like that. No uh, permanent uh, soul, no permanent self. And we learn... Um, to see that what we call the self is only is a very concrete things that change all the time. If we say that I am made of uh, body, feelings, uh, perceptions, mental formations, and consciousness, I know that these five elements are changing all the time. They're always input and output. I am like a river, always uh, at the source of water coming in, and uh, the river can, uh, can, can dispend uh, its water to the field or to the, to the area when it, uh, it goes through. And some of the water in the river will, uh, is uh, 
evaporating in order to become cloud. So we have to see the inputs and the output of the river. Uh, the same is true with a cloud. The cloud is changing all the time. There are many uh, uh, little clouds or uh, water vapor uh, running in, and there are always, on, always some, of, some part of the cloud becoming something else, like a, like a, like a rain or snow and so on. So what we call self is just um, the manifestation of these uh, five elements. There is uh, the sitting, there is the breathing, there is the walking, there is the calm, there is the peace, there is the happiness, there is the joy generated with the walking. All these things do exist and you can recognize them. And that is all that are. And you are this. There is no, no you outside of these five elements. You are these five elements. And these five elements change and produce a joy and peace and happiness. And you are them. So in the Gata, um, Buddha is breathing, Buddha is smiling. I am breathing, I am smiling. And then we go to the next. Buddha is the breathing, Buddha is the smiling. I am the breathing, I am the smiling. There's only the breathing, there is only the smiling, there is no breather, there is no smiler. And you go slowly like that in order to touch the nature of uh, no self. And there is not a permanent self that is seeking nirvana. Nirvana is something that exists, that is there, the nature of no birth and no death. And all of us, including the river and the cloud, are well established in nirvana. Our nature is the nature of no birth and no death. And that is the subject of our Dhamma talk tomorrow. Dear Thai, dear Sangha, I have learned that a few months ago a monk did end his life in Plum Village by himself. I have always this monk in my head. He was uh, smiling. He was always wanting to help other people. And I can't understand. So my question is how the everyday 
practice of your teaching can it can it bring to desperation and to suicide in the time of the buddha there are monks who committed suicide also do you know that you don't Uh, many of us come to Plum Village and practice, and there are those of us who are capable of transforming and healing very quickly, and there are those of us who are very slow in uh, in in the practice of transformation, transforming and healing. But if you stick to the practice, you have a chance. If you take uh, truly refuge in the Sangha, if you try to practice wholeheartedly, putting the practice into yourself, and then you have more chance to, to transform and to heal. And if you just want to prove that you are a practitioner, that's not good enough. So that is what happened during the time of Buddha, and it will continue to happen in the Sangha. In Sangha, there will be people like that. If uh, we do not really take refuge in the Sangha, we get rooted in, in the brothers and sisters. Mm. We, uh, we have a more chance to transform and uh, to heal, even if we have uh, that... Uh, tendency, uh, that nature of uh, um, suicide in ourselves, transmitted by, by many generations of ancestors. Um, you bring that, uh, that tendency, that seed of suicide into the Sangha. And if uh, if you hide that for, from us, uh, we, we do not have a chance to help you uh, uh, soon enough, so you don't have a chance. So when you come to, to us, you should tell us uh, your suffering, your uh, weakness, and ask for help. And then we will know how to generate the collective energy and then to help you deal with that specific question. But if you try to hide, and then we don't know how to help you uh, uh, in the beginning, and you lose your time. You pretend that uh, everything is good, everything is going well, uh, until one day uh, you cannot do it anymore. So things like that happen during the time of Buddha. And I think will continue to happen uh, uh, in, the fu- in the future. So you have to learn uh, the lesson. And that applies not only to monastics, but to lay people. If you come to the Sangha, you should take refuge in the Sangha. You should sit among us and say, Dear Sangha, dear brothers and sisters in the Dharma, here is my pain. Here is my sorrow. Here is my despair. Please help uh, recognize and embrace it. I need you. I need 
the collective uh, of the Sangha to guide me, to lead me, to help me transform. And that is our practice. And this is uh, called the practice of taking refuge in the Sangha. Taking refuge in Sangha is not a, 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 a statement made by chanting. Uh, taking refuge in Sangha is to truly believe in the power of the Sangha to help you and open your heart and, 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 um, and ready to be embraced and guided and instructed uh, by the Sangha. Je parle en français. Je m'appelle Eric. Je voudrais faire un rapide partage avant de poser ma question et peut-être vous lire un poème que j'ai écrit. Je pratique depuis dix ans à peu près au village et je pratique, je crois avoir beaucoup pratiqué, j'ai fait beaucoup d'efforts pour transformer schéma difficile. Et je suis content parce que je crois que ça fonctionne. La question, s'il vous plaît. Question directe, d'accord, pas de problème. C'est euh, que vivez-vous euh, arrivé sur l'autre rive Est-ce que vous pensez encore Est-ce que vous avez encore des souffrances Yes. Uh, even when you arrive at the other shore, you continue to suffer, but you suffer differently. Um, there's a way to suffer that can help you grow, that can help you heal, that can help you help other people. Can God? Yeah. Could we have a French translator for our friend, please? French translator, thank you. Uh, you might think that the Buddha Sakyamuni, our teacher, is uh, a person who is only happy. He, he does not suffer, but that's not true. How, how can? Can you do that when so many people around you suffer? When you are aware of the suffering in, going on in the world, or you want to, 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 to do something in order to help them to, to suffer less? And uh, you are in good communication with other living beings, and that is why uh, you co-suffer with them. You feel that the suffering in them and in you. But because you, you have transformed, you have a lot of compassion and uh, wisdom, that is why you are not a uh, victim of that suffering. You know how to make good use of the suffering in order to create uh, healing and transformation. 
there are those of us who know how to not to be victim of suffering, but who knows how to make good use of the suffering in order to to heal, uh, to 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 make uh, joy and happiness. It's like uh, when you are when 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 you are a gardener. Mm. Uh, the garden produces uh, many beautiful flowers and vegetables. But the garden, as a garden, it on, on way also produces uh, other things that are not uh, like flowers and vegetables. Uh, it produces uh, both uh, flower and garbage. But as an organic gardener, you don't throw away the garbage. You keep them, and you make good use of them in order to nourish uh, the flowers. So if you want to, to grow lotus flower, you need the mud. So the mud is necessary to make uh, lotus. The same thing is true with the suffering and happiness. You need some suffering in order to make happiness. And uh, if you are a good gardener, you are not victims of the garbage. You are the boss. You know how to make good use of the, the, the garbage to make compost. So the Buddha is someone like that. He is a gardener. He knows how to make good use of the, of, uh, of, uh, the garbage of suffering, anger, fear, despair, in order to transform, it, transform them into something else. Mm. It's like uh, the right and the left. The left has to lean on the right in order to manifest. So suffering and happiness, there are two aspects of reality. If uh, suffering doesn't exist, happiness is not exist either. So on the other shore, there is suffering. But you are not victim of it. You know how to make good use of it. So my idea of uh, the kingdom of God is the same. The kingdom of God is not a place where there is no suffering. It is a place where people know how to make good use of suffering in order to create understanding and compassion. Because without suffering, you cannot bring about understanding and compassion, which are the sound, the, the ground of happiness. It's very clear that the, that's the view of interbeing, right view. So our, our idea that the kingdom of God is a, a place where there is no suffering, there is only happiness, according to the insight of interbeing, is wrong view. Wrong view. And therefore, if our Sangha knows how to make good use of suffering and transform it into happiness, we are the kingdom of God right here. 
and we have the power to build a kingdom of God by without practice. And to me, the kingdom is now or never. One more question, the last question. Cher Sangha, lors du question-réponse de la dernière retraite francophone, vous avez souhaité que des centres de pratique soient ouverts dans les villes et vous avez cité Lyon et Toulouse. Comme je fais partie de la Sangha de Toulouse, j'aimerais avoir des précisions sur l'organisation et le fonctionnement d'un tel centre. Pourriez-vous nous dire comment vous l'imaginez pour que nous puissions commencer à l'imaginer nous-mêmes et à le construire. So, dear Thay, in the question and answer session in the French retreat this past spring, um, Thay taught us that um, we need to create practice centers, and Thay uh, happened to mention the city of Toulouse, and Thay said practice centers in the cities, and Thay mentioned Toulouse, and as I... It means our friend and from the Sangha of Toulouse. I would like to ask Thay for more guidance about this, how we should organize to build and realize Thay's um, aspiration for us. How do we, we visualize yeah. or to, such a practice center? To build it, how do we organize and create that? The answer is uh, simple. Uh, this is to be worked out by the Toulouse Sangha. <laughs> uh, dear friends, uh, we shall have a formal meal today. Uh, we will uh, have a chance to participate in a formal meal in the traditional way today. We shall have a lunch together in this hall. And... Uh, Uh, instruction will be given by some of our sisters as how to joyfully, happily participate in a formal meal. According to the tradition, uh, every year uh, the monastics uh, have a three-month uh, uh, rain retreat, 90 days, and every day they have uh, They practice uh, a formal meal. And they sit down together and eat our lunch in such a way that we can create a very powerful collective energy of brotherhood, sisterhood, uh, joy, and peace during the whole time of eating. Our attention, our mindfulness, concentration is only on, on that, sangha and the food. And, uh, and brotherhood and sisterhood. And then the, that, uh, that uh, energy generated by the sitting and eating can help uh, heal uh, and bring uh, a good energy to everyone. 
we will have uh, a chance to do walking meditation before we, we come back for, for, for the formal meal.